Revelations chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. All right, here we go. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And here's the question we're going to answer this morning. And who can stand? Chapter 7 is the answer to this question. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, and they were holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so who can stand? The ones that are sealed. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin, were all sealed, 12,000 from each tribe. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Now there are some people who put these two groups together and say that it's just another way of saying the same thing. I beg to differ. The first group is numbered, 144,000. The second group here is unnumbered. You cannot number this people, or man cannot number this people. And they were from every nation, from all tribes. The first group was not from every nation, but was from the sons of Israel, from the tribes of Israel. They were from all peoples and all languages, and they were standing before the throne. Where is the throne at? In heaven, right? The first group is being sealed on earth. The second group is standing in heaven. Those are important differences to note. They are standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in the white robes, and from where have they come from? The elder wants to make sure that he understands who this group is. They're different from the first group. Who is this group? And then John answers him in verse 14. I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So they have been in the great tribulation, right? They have been in the great suffering of the tribulation. They're coming out of it and they're standing before the throne of God in heaven. That means they've been killed. That means they've died in this. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, 
They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and He will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You can be seated. Father, one more time we come to You. God, this is Your Word. You are the only one that can give the correct interpretation. Father, I have no power, I have no ability, I have no wisdom in and of myself to accomplish anything from Your Word this morning. But God, I lean on You. I trust You. And Lord, I know that the message that You mean to to get out is exactly what will get out. And Father, I pray this morning that You would help me to surrender wholly to You. I pray that You would be the words that I speak. My words would be Your words. Father, every sound that is made and that is heard from me this morning, Father, I pray that You would cause it to edify, that You would cause it to nourish, that You would cause it, Father, to to land exactly on the hearts that You mean for it to land on. And Lord, I trust when Your Word says that You will not allow Your Word to return to You void, I know that You're going to cause it to accomplish Your purpose this morning. So God, we preach this morning, we read from Your Word, trusting that when You send it out, You will accomplish Your purpose. And we know that that will take place this morning. God, we love You. Help us in this Word. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In um, Revelation chapter 6, we got to see the final seven years of tribulation opened up. I'm not going to go back and interpret Daniel again. If you want to know what I mean by that, you can get on the internet, Facebook. It's, it's in many places. You can go back a few Sundays and you can restudy exactly how we got to this point. But one thing that needs to be said is that this time of great tribulation has been becoming greater and greater as it goes along. And we reached a point to where By the time we get to chapter 7, we're not even opened the seventh seal yet. We've only opened six of them. By the time we get to chapter 7, the sixth seal has been opened and literally the universe is beginning to fall apart and crumble into the earth. And everyone that is left is hiding and those that do not know the Lord are crying out to the rocks begging the rocks and the mountains, will you please fall on us and please crush us because maybe that will hide us from the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb. And then when John looks at all of this tribulation that is taking place, all of the wrath of God that is pouring down onto the earth, he asks a question at the end. And he says, who can stand? Will anybody survive this? I mean, when he's looking at it and when he sees it, he sees that even in just the first six of them, it is so great, the tribulation is so great, that as far as he's concerned, I don't think anybody can make it through this. I don't think anyone will come out of this. And then God gives John a new vision. If you'll notice in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, After this I saw... Every time you see this phrase after this in Revelation, Revelation, it is an introduction to a new vision. 
And so now John is getting a new vision that answers the question, who can stand? Will anyone survive through this great tribulation? And so what we find out here is that there are two groups of people that actually make it out of this tribulation. One group of people is not even harmed at all. They have a protection that is placed on them and they make it all the way through the tribulation and we're going to find out they even enter into the millennium reign with Christ. The second group, however, they survive the tribulation but not in the way that we would think. They actually end up being martyred for their faith and they end up in heaven standing before the throne of God. And what we want to look at is specifically who are these two groups of people because Jehovah's Witnesses say that they are the 144,000. Somewhere around the 1990s, I think, don't quote me on that, may have been the 70s, but it was in that, that era, 70s to 90s. Somewhere in there they realized that, oh no, we have over 3 million people in our religion. And we've been teaching that we are the 144,000. And that only 144,000 are going to enter into heaven. And so we've got a problem. And so then they begin to change some things over that. But there are all kinds of speculations as to who this 144,000 is. And I think that you need to understand because it fulfills God's purpose of why He chose the Jews to begin with. It fulfills His prophecy throughout many scriptures. And we're going to read a few of those this morning. But I want you to see exactly who these 144,000 are. The first thing I think is very clear is that these 144,000 are Jews. These 144,000 are specifically the seed of Abraham. They are the, the children of Israel. And so that wipes out a lot of the Jehovah's Witness right there. I'm sorry, you don't quite belong in this category. However, not trying to get too much on them this morning, I want to look at what some of the Scriptures teach us about the Jews and the chosen people. And I want to understand from a, from a historical point of view, what was God's purpose in choosing the Jews to begin with? If I were to ask that question this morning in a number of churches, most people cannot tell me why God chose this group of people out of all the other groups of people in the world. And so what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to look at the Scriptures and understand why did God choose Abraham? Because let me tell you something. Abraham come out of a sinful country too. Abraham was no different than anybody else on this earth. Abraham was a sinner and, and uh, he come out of a country that worshipped idols. And so when God made this covenant with Abraham and his seed, we have to understand that it was only by His grace that He did it. Abraham didn't deserve it any more than anybody else in the rest of the world deserved it. And so let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verses 1 through 3 so that we can begin to see exactly why God chose this group of people and what His purpose was. And this is going to lead us back to understand who the 144,000 are. All right? In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go away from your country, your kindred, your father's house, 
to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. That's very important to understand, okay? And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now one of the things that you're going to see in this is that this is the exact opposite of what happened in Genesis chapter 11. Now Genesis chapter 11, everybody remember the story of Babel when God confused all the languages? They were trying to build a tower whose top reached into the heavens and God came down. He confused all their languages so that they couldn't do it. And then the very next thing that happens in Genesis chapter 12 is that God calls Abraham... And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. Everybody that blesses you, I'll bless. Everybody that curses you, I'll curse. But look back at Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 to see what the attitude was before God called this people. Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. And let us build ourselves a tower with its top in the heavens. And here's why. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so here's what God is doing. The heart of man is so sinful that it says, we can do this all by ourselves. God, we don't need you. We don't want you. We'll make our own name great. We'll make our own city. We'll build our own tower and we will be great in this world because of who we are. And that's completely contrary to God's purpose for creating you. God created you so that He could bless you and He would make you great and then you would bring Him glory and the people of the world would look at you and they would see who God is. And so when God gets in Genesis chapter 12, He says, I am going to choose a people by grace and grace alone, out of all the peoples of the world, and I am going to bless them. And I am going to make their name great. And I am going to make them a great nation. And then, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so here's the purpose that God created Israel. When God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to bless your seed and I'm going to do all this, His purpose was... I want the world to look at you. And when they look at you, I want them to see me. I want the world to look at you and I want them to see that you walk different, that you talk different, that you eat different, that everything you do is different, that you worship different. And you do it according to the way I direct you to do it, hence the law. And as you do this, the world is going to look at you and they're going to see the great God of Israel. And so you will be great and you will have a great name and you will be blessed. But the purpose of it is so that when all the nations look at you, they see who God is and they come to you because they want your God to be their God. And that was the purpose of this. Israel was to be a witness for all the world to who God was. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? But, as most of you know, Israel failed at that. In Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 2, this is what God says. He says, You are a people holy to the Lord. 
I have chosen you to be a people for my treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are the people that I have chose. My purpose for this is so that as I make you great, the world sees that you follow me, and because you follow me, you are a blessed people. And then all the world is going to want to have the God that you have. Now here's what happened, because there's some questions going on in some of your minds saying, well, wait a minute, they went through just slaughtering people, right? Yes, but if you'll go back and do your history, you'll notice that when they came up to the borders of these towns, they came up in great number, they came up and they camped, and then these cities would look at them and go, oh no, they're not coming in here. And they would go and attack Israel. Do you remember what God said He would do to those who curse Israel? Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And so there we get into this because the world would not see their God, because the world would not repent and follow their God, but followed their own idols and their own hearts. When Israel came into the lands, God said, wipe them out. And that was exactly the way it was supposed to go. However, instead of Israel wiping them out, if you know any history of the Bible, you'll know that Israel went in and made covenants with them. And Israel went in and began to worship their gods. And Israel went in and began to walk away from their God. And they were disobedient in all of the things that God had called them to do. And all of the nations of the world were not being blessed through their witness of the world. So they were failing miserably at this. So when the Messiah come, because the way this was supposed to work, Israel would follow God through the law by faith. They would just trust God. They would do His word. They would be obedient to Him. And then God was going to send a Messiah that came out of this people that would save the world. But when the Messiah come, what did the Jews do? They rejected Him. They killed Him, right? So instead of following God's plan, they failed. So let's see what God did. Romans chapter 10, verse 19. Romans chapter 10, verse 19 through 21, I believe. But I ask you, and this is Paul speaking, did Israel not understand? Did they not understand what they were supposed to do? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. God said, you were supposed to be my witness. You were supposed to be my treasured possession. You were supposed to be my royal priesthood to all the world. And instead, you became a people that thought, we're the only ones that God wants to bless. And nobody else is included. And nobody else belongs. And Paul says, did Israel not understand? Well, here's what Moses said. Moses said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Well, here's what God says He's going to do. He's going to take another nation and He's going to make you jealous. He's going to take another nation and He's going to bring people in that are not a people, that are not Jews. And He's going to bring them in to make you jealous so that you understand that I have now went to them. And now they are going to be the ones that are going to witness to the world. They're going to show the world who I am. They're going to walk different. They're going to talk different. They're going to follow Jesus Christ. And as the world looks at the church now, now they're the witness to the world. And it's going to make the Jews jealous. And this was all part of God's plan. Let's keep reading in in, uh, Romans chapter 10. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, 
I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Talking about the Gentiles. And then if you were to go to verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Y'all tracking with me this morning? You see the flip-flop that just took place? God said, okay, I'm going to put a partial blindness over Israel so that you can't see because you don't want to see. And I'm going to open up a path for the Gentiles to come in and I'm going to ordain people to go out to a nation that didn't ask for me, they didn't want me, and I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to make them my people. And look what it says in Romans chapter 11 verse 7. Romans chapter 11 verse 7 through 8, it says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? Yes. The elect obtained it, talking about the church, but the rest were hardened as it is written. Sorry, the elect was not talking about the church. The chosen in the Jews is what it's talking about. But the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Now flip down to me with verse 25 in that same chapter. For sake of time, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So it's going to be lifted, right? The partial hardening, the stupor, the spirit of stupor, this blindness that has been put on Israel, it's going to be lifted and they're going to be able to see, but not yet. The fullness of the Gentiles has to come in. And look at verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Talking about Israel. And then look at verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. They're enemies so that you may come in. But as regards election, because God made a promise to Abraham, right? Your seed I'm going to make great. Your seed will be my seed. And so there is still a physical promise out here to the children of Israel. And he says here, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And here's why, verse 29. Because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God called them. God gave this gift. And let me tell you something. When God gives you a gift, He will not take it back. It's irrevocable. For those of you that think you can lose your salvation this morning, when God gives a gift, it cannot be took back. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That is very important for you to understand this morning. And so there is this partial hardness that has come upon Israel. But look at Romans chapter 9. Verse 27, this will be the last one. And if you want to read Romans 9 through 11, you're going to pick up a lot of this with this context, okay? Look at Romans 9, verse 27. And Israel cries out, or Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. 
And here's what Paul is telling us. That in the last days, even though this hardness and this blindness has come over God's people, because they failed at being the witness to the world, and they pursued other gods, and they didn't follow God by faith, now God says, in the last days, I am going to lift the blindness, and I am going to save a remnant. And through this remnant, we're going to have the world saved through the great tribulation. The 144,000 that you see in Revelation are the first part of the remnant of Israel that God has lifted the blinders from. And now that He's lifted the blinding and He has removed the partial hardening, because remember, what happened to the church before the tribulation started? The fullness of the Gentiles came in. And now God is coming in and now He is going to give Israel another chance. And Israel is now going to be the witness to the world that God called them to be because His gifts and His callings are irrevocable, right? And so now we have 144,000 super Jews, if you will. And this 144,000 God seals and He protects them during all of this hell that is crashing down to earth so that they cannot be harmed. And they are sold out to the ministry of God. And as they serve God in the ministry of spreading the gospel, they are going to be the ones that are crying out what you read in Isaiah chapter 53. Go to Isaiah 53. I didn't plan on doing this for sake of time, but we'll just have to finish up another time is all I can say. You need to know this. Isaiah 53. Many of you have always thought that Isaiah 53 was something that happened back then. What you need to understand is Isaiah 53 is about what this group of Jews is going to say when the partial hardening has been lifted, when the blindness has been lifted, and now they see Jesus for who He is. Hold your place in Isaiah 53. I want to read one more scripture to you from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. You'll have it up here on the board for you. Zechariah chapter 12 verse uh, 10. I believe it is. Yeah. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. God prophesied through Zechariah that He's going to open up a spirit of grace onto Israel in the last days. And they are going to see Jesus, the one whom they pierced, and they're going to cry. And look at what it says in Isaiah 53. Let's just read through just a little bit of it. Who has believed what He heard from us? Nobody believed it. A partial hardness came on them. A blindness came on them. Nobody believed it. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It was revealed to us, the Jews, is what this person is saying. And because he grew up before God like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he looked like a nobody. And he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Again, we thought he was a nobody. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was the kind of man that you turned your face away from, is what the Jews were saying. They're saying, 
We didn't get it. We didn't see it. But then it says in verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs. Surely He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought God killed Him. We didn't know it was us. And then in verse 5, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. This is the cry of the remnant of Jews that the harden has been lifted, the blindness has been lifted, and they look at Jesus and they weep bitterly and they say, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. We didn't see it. But now we know He died for our transgressions. He suffered for us. And all of a sudden, these 144,000 Jews are sold out to Jesus Christ. These 144,000 Jews give their life to Him. They are, uh, uh, they are from every tribe of Israel. God has called back, keeping His promise. Keeping their, they are from every tribe of Israel. And then if you go um, to Revelations chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, you'll see that they have a special calling on their life. In Revelations 14, it's talking about the 144,000. Verse 4 and 5, listen to the special calling they have. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Now listen, that does not mean that anybody that's ever had sex is defiled and you, can, you are of no use. Because we're in trouble, ain't we? That's not what that means. These were 144,000 Apostle Pauls. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> Read verse 6 through 9 first. I'll go through these quickly for sake of time. But I want you to see what this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 beginning in verse 6. Paul says, Now as a concession, not a command. This is not a command from God, Paul is saying. I say this. I wish that all of you were as I myself am. It's important. But each has his own gift from God. So he calls this a gift, what he's fixing to talk about, right? One of one kind, one of another. Verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. It's not gifted to everyone to be, to be celibate. Everybody don't have that gift. Can I tell you, I don't have that gift. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm not one of the 144,000, all right? And so everybody's not gifted this way. But Paul says some people are. Paul says, I'm gifted this way. Look what he says next in um, verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul says, I would rather you stay even as I am. Just stay single. Just serve the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. And he explains that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Skip down to verse 32. Again, for sake of time. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. So the unmarried man has his focus on what? Ministry, right? He's not focused on his marriage providing or children or anything else. 
He just works for the Lord. But look at verse 33. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And that's true. Verse 34. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so here's what you see in the 144,000. You see God has chosen a group of Jews and He has given them a special gift and a special calling so that the only thing they do with their life is serve God. You've got 144,000 Apostle Pauls right here. You remember what the Apostle Paul did to Asia Minor and to Greece and to Rome? Turned the world upside down, right? Well, in the seven years of tribulation, you've got 144,000 of them. And they're going all over the world. And they're ministering and they're sharing the gospel. And what you're going to see happen is Zechariah chapter 8 verse 23 is going to be fulfilled. Look at this right here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, What? Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now remember, Israel was called to be a witness to the world. This is what was supposed to happen the first time around. And they failed. But now it's been lifted. And now as these 144,000 go through the world, you got 10 men from every nation. Remember, there's 12,000 from every tribe, right? you got 10 men and women from every nation of tongues. And they're holding on to the robes of one of these 144,000. Ten to every one. And they're holding on to the robe and they're saying, Take us with you. Take us with you. Because we see that God is with you. In other words, take us to see your Messiah. Take us to see your King. And as a result of that, look what happens in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. What's the first two words of verse 9? What does that tell you? New vision, right? So we're no longer watching the angels seal the ones on earth to protect them from all the harm. And by the way, if you were to go look at the harm and you were to go over to Revelation chapter 8, you're going to see that everything that happens in Revelation chapter 8 from the judgments that take place there are what God told these angels to hold back and don't let loose until we've sealed them until they're protected. But then in verse 9 he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God in heaven and before the Lamb. And so what you see here is the result of the ministry of the 144,000 Jews that the blindness has been lifted from and 10 men from every nation grabbed the robe of the Jew and said, let us go with you. And they were saved. But they were killed because they weren't sealed. They weren't protected from the harm that's coming. They weren't protected from the war that the Antichrist makes on them in Revelation chapter 
16, I believe it is. They weren't protected, and so they suffered tremendously. Yet, they made it. And now what you're fixing to see take place is God's fixing to answer their prayer because who this group of people is are the ones we read about in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, and you're going to see that God already told some others about this group of people. In Revelation 6, verse 9, we had all these souls of martyred Christians who were under the altar of God. And they were crying out to God saying, Lord, how long? How long before you avenge us? How long before you avenge our blood on those that dwell on the earth? And God gave them a white robe and told them to rest a little while longer until the rest of the number of those that were to be killed, just like they had been, had come in. And so what you see happen here is this is that other group of people that were killed during this tribulation. And they are crying just like these that were under the altar. And they're saying, Lord, how long before you avenge? Lord, how long before you avenge? And God says, it's time. Now's time. They've come in. They're here. And now it's time to avenge. So go to Revelation chapter 8 and look what happens in the first five verses. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God with seven trumpets given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose, from, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it onto the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flash of lightnings, and an earthquake. And then you see hell break loose and fall onto the earth again. And so here's what you see happen. Now the rest of these martyrs have come in. They came in on the coats of the remnant of the Jews, the 144,000. They came in on their coattails. And now here they are in heaven, and they're with these other souls that have been under the altar crying out to God, How long before you avenge us? How long? We suffered tremendously. How long before you avenge us? And God says, How about now? And He commands the angel, Go get from the altar some of those prayers. Go get all those prayers and put them in this censer. And when you do, fill it up with coals from the fire from the altar and you throw it all down together on the earth. And when it comes down, peals of thunder, lightnings, flashes, earthquakes happen on this earth. And God says, now I'm going to avenge, I'm going to avenge for all of the suffering that has took place, for every Christian that has ever prayed a prayer, God, why do I have to go through this? Any of you as a Christian ever prayed the prayer, God, why does it have to be this way? God, how long? God, I don't understand. God, this was not my plan. God, this was not the way that I thought things would go. God, I thought you were my God. God, I thought that I was going to be blessed. I didn't know it was going to be like this. And God says... Just hold on. Rest just a little bit longer because I'm coming. And when I do, 
I'm coming with all your prayers and we're going to rain hell down on this earth. And every, every inhabitant of unbelievers on this earth is going to suffer the consequences along with the great dragon, Satan, and all that he is. Now just go with me real quick and finish up this verse, uh, chapter 7. I do not have time to get through it. Ain't that a, ain't, ain't that a common phrase you hear from me? <clears throat> Man. Verse 10, we'll just read it. Y'all have to figure it out on y'all. And crying out with a loud voice. Remember, they're sitting here clothed in white robes. They got palm branches in their hand, right? They're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God because they know it's time. And they say, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. In other words, John said, I don't know who they are. Remember, the church is already there. So who are these? And he says, I don't know who they are. You tell me who they are. And then... He says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. I hope you know that when you're in heaven, you will want to do nothing more than stay beside of Him day and after day, after day. Let me ask you this. If the heavens declare the glory of God, the mountains, the Grand Canyon, the ocean, how many of you love the beach? The ocean and the beach, if all of that declares the glory of God and yet it's cursed, what do you think it's going to be like when you see it in its fullness? You ain't ever been on a beach like this. You ain't never been to a Grand Canyon that displayed this much majesty and glory. And these people get to stay here and view it forever and ever and ever. The angels in Isaiah chapter 6, they stay before Him day and night and the only thing they do is cry to each other and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And they just cry that back and forth to each other because they cannot believe what they get to see and what they get to be in the presence of. Verse 16, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor, scor nor any scorching heat. They have went through the great tribulation. They understand famine. They understand thirst. They understand the scorching sun that you're going to see in Revelation chapter 8. And then the reason why they'll never experience that anymore, verse 17, is because the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and He will be... Their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Every suffering you have ever suffered will be dealt with and you will be satisfied with how it is dealt with. And this is what these people get to experience along with us because we're already there. They come up and they join us in it. Today is going to be the last Sunday I'm going to do this for a while.
I'm going to let Brother Nick get back up in here. And the reason is because I feel like you need a break. <laughs> there, um, <clears throat> there's a whole lot to take in here. A whole lot. But here's one of the things that you need to understand. One, i got a couple. The first thing you need to understand is that God always keeps His Word to the fullest. And what you're seeing take place here in this 144,000 is just God keeping His Word. That this is what I promised, this is what I was going to do, and now I partially hardened them and blinded them so that the world could come in because they didn't, they didn't invite the world in the way they were supposed to. And so now that the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, now I'm going to lift this blindness, lift this hardness. They are going to see, and now they are going to lead the world to salvation. During the Great Tribulation time, you see many that, that um, are destroyed because of their unbelief. But at the same time, during this last seven years, you see the greatest revival that has ever taken place in the world since the creation of the world. And it comes on the coattails of 144,000 Jews. God keeps His Word. The next thing you need to see is this, is that even in wrath and hard wrath, God remembers mercy. God remembers mercy. You need to see that God is a saving God. Can I say that again? You need to see that God is a saving God and that God wants to save. And yet there are going to be many that even though they know it's the wrath of God, they sit up in the mountains and instead of repenting, they say, Rocks, will you please crush us so we don't have to face Him? And what they don't understand, even if the rock crush you, guess what? I know that there's a group of people in here with a rebellious heart just like these that we're talking about that you know right now that if Christ were to come back today and call His church home, you probably won't be with them. Can I tell you today that God desires to save you? Amen. And all you need to do is see your sin, repent, and trust in Jesus Christ that He has paid every cent of what you owe for your sin. And give your life to Him and follow Him in obedience. And I can promise you that when the trumpet sounds, you'll be going home with us. And so I pray that you see this morning God is going to keep His Word, every bit of it. And yet, in His wrath, He'll still remember mercy and He wants to save you. And so I pray this morning that if you have not confessed Him with your mouth that He is Lord, if you've not believed in your heart that God has, that God has sent Jesus to die for your sins, raised Him from the dead to prove that your payment has been paid, the wages of sin is what? And He raised Him to prove that He has conquered the payment for your sin. If you've not believed that in your heart and you've not confessed that with your mouth this morning, then I pray that this morning is the morning that you come and that you would do that. Don't let your rebellious heart stop you. Just say, Pastor, this morning is the morning I want to be saved because I believe God is a saving God and He wants to save me.